Thank you for downloading this podcast and welcome to Arrow Bandwidth, the podcast to help the channel better understand the trends, technologies and concepts that are facing the IT industry today. I'm your host, David Fern, and we hope you enjoy this Arrow production. And please subscribe. Thanks. Hi, and welcome back to another Arrow Bandwidth. So, um, this one... Two of my favourite arrow bandwidths every year are the ones we're doing, the one we're going to do now, and the one that we do at the end of the year, where we look back and figure out whether or not we were right or not. It's the predictions episode. Ah, that, see, I thought you were going to go with the outtakes, but come on then, the predictions episode. Yeah, to be fair, <laughs> this could be 10 Yeah, this could be 10 outtakes, couldn't it? Yeah, sorry. So, um... As I say, every year, every year I get asked to write a bunch of predictions. They go, oh, you do get asked. I thought you just went on and blindly no, did them. No, no, no. <laughs> in December, this becomes one of the banes of my existence because we're trying to close out the year. I'm also trying to re- think of some 10 really innovative um, things to, to talk about and, and sort of predict that they're going to be big next year. And just to put these into context, the problem that we have, the problem I have with these predictions is that these are n- and what makes them so difficult, but also so valuable to the channel, is that these aren't predictions that are there to to be the bleeding of bleeding edges. These are predictions of the channels. This is stuff that they should either start talking about, thinking about, or doing in 2018, previously 2017, 2016, 2015. So you know, these are what should you what should you focus on this year, and why. Okay. Okay. So, essentially, they start kind of sensible. They get a bit wackier in the middle. And then they exit, you know. You know what I'm going to say. It sounds like a typical podcast. It does sound like a typical podcast, although we normally go normal, crazy, crazier. Yeah, um, true. But I, 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 the good thing is, as always, I can explain yeah. why. I've, I've got some, some good solid reasoning as to why each of these you've done are, your research yeah well yeah uh, literally this this is possibly the single biggest piece of work at all year because the amount of research you do need to put into it the amount of understanding of mm-hmm. the topic and and it's 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 huge but that's what i'm here for right so let's jump straight into them yes come on right first one super simple we speak about it all the time it's about this um Innovation and adoption. So we used to be in a position where the graph of innovation was essentially exponential, right? Yeah, so Moore's law and all that sort of stuff. Moore's law, all that sort of stuff. You know, innovation is it's continual. It's you know growing every single year. Yeah, you know, innovation sort of driving things. Now that's nothing new at all. What is no. new is the adoption curve. So companies used to used to have a what we call an N minus two adoption strategy. So N being whatever the latest was, minus two versions, that's the one they'd use. Because it gave them a certain level of stability, it gave them maturity in a product, and it also generally meant that most of the bugs that were going to be found in that product were already gone. Nobody Operating buys version 1.0 well, of a product, you always wait exactly. till version 1.3. And, and actually, most organizations wouldn't even wait, wouldn't even buy until version 2. <laughs> yeah, you know, true. if you look at adoption of operating systems as a prime example, you know, 
there's still still some organizations that swear by XP because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. Right? There's plenty of embedded technologies. Um, you know, a lot of the NHS still leverages um, XP. XP had another service um, maintenance extension uh, at the end of 2017 mm-hmm. into 2018 for some of the organizations. God knows how much that now costs, by the way, because, you know, it extended warranty was expensive day one. Day, how old? How long ago was XP retired? That's a terrifying thought. So, mm-hmm. the net net being yeah. that organization, that's the way organizations used to work. The way organizations are now starting to work, though, is they are looking at how they can gain a competitive advantage by adopting newer, more innovative technologies. Uh, hang on a minute. So is, this, is, is, this where, is this where you start talking about pizzas in part of a technology sort of trend? Y- yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so this, this is... <laughs> sort of, yeah. So, so uh, for the, anyone who start, sat through uh, podcasts in the past, but also lots of time I go to, and go and do talks in, in places, I talk about, you know, organisations that are fundamentally pivoting themselves yeah. away from just being a pizza company through being a technology company that happens to sell pizza, mm-hmm. a retailer or a technology company that happens to sell baked beans, milk and bread, a technology company that happens to, you know, drive people around. So actually organizations that see themselves as a technology company first adopt the latest and greatest and leverage that to increase mobility, get better analytics, machine learning, AI, you know, logistics, uh, all of these technologies no, fundamentally just, yeah. are, by, are by adopting the newest newest stuff because this well, stuff just didn't exist previously. Well, yeah, I suppose you're saying they're adopting the latest stuff, but let's not lose sight of the fact they're not adopting AI for the sake of adopting AI. No, 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 no. Then, they're yeah, adop- yeah cause there's, they're there's not a clearly easy. defined... These, these, are, these are the, the businesses with... Enough forward investment already and leveraging technology to a certain extent successfully so far that actually they've gained the breathing space to look at the next next. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, one of the really famous one is Docker. So, so many people, yeah. big organizations, saw value in containerization, microservices, all yep. that sort of stuff. The, application portability that that brought with it, that they started adopting Docker into production at 0.5, to the point where Docker had to put on their front page, please do not adopt this into production. We have not hit version one yet. This was a good few years ago. Hey, look, but I it's a prime example of, an, of, of a technology that yep. people saw was, you know, on the absolute bleeding edge of innovation. But people started to adopt into production because they could see the value that it could bring to their business to be able to do something they couldn't really do. Driving a competitive advantage, be that competitive advantage in the ability to be more, mm-hmm. you know, have greater uptime, be able to optimize to different platforms or different services or whatever it may be. But the net net being that it drove intrinsic value that they couldn't have otherwise gained from adopting technologies that weren't at the bleeding edge as, they, as these were. I remember quite clearly in our old London office, you turning around to me one morning and going, hey, have you ever heard of this company, Docker? Yeah. I've just been reading about them. Mm. Probably more likely you've been listening to a podcast. (laughs) And he said, check them out. 
Yeah. And, you know, if you look at, quite startlingly, yeah, how Docker has gone from quite an obscure technology name and concept, to be fair, to actually now, like you say, adoption. I also think this is driving the um, startup, startup economy as well. Tech startups are being driven through people saying, actually, your agility, your, you know, your brand new idea, although not necessarily proven and mature like an Oracle or an IBM of this world, mm-hmm. but by adopting it and taking a risk on not having something that has huge legacy, I might be able to gain a competitive advantage. As I say, be more agile, be more relevant, be whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So that that's fundamentally what this trend is all about. It's all sure. about, as a partner, you need to be looking for your for your end customers. You need to be going and looking at what technologies are coming down the pipeline, and don't be afraid of going and proposing super brand new stuff and bleeding edge technologies if there is a big enough risk reward strategy to those technologies. Yeah, because I'm glad you said that because you can't really buy an adoption curve. You can't really sell an adoption no, curve. No, no, no. <laughs> But you can go and talk about it, and yes. you can ha- and you can go and take a thought leadership position. Yes, and you can go and seem more intelligent than your competition, or you could go and you know just do what we do and, and consume sixteen hours of podcasts a week and literally <laughs> I worried what you were going to say, man. Listen your way into a into a thought leadership position, and then go and explain this to your customer. Explain how they can gain a competitive advantage yeah. out of adopting the latest and greatest, and um, use it to further your sort of. Mind share and, and your sort of relevance. Relevance. Perfect. Relevance hey, you like that? In that customer. So, moving swiftly on. Well, not swiftly. We've only done number one. Let's not, <laughs> go too, let's not go too quickly. One I can't keep up. So, number two. Number two is all about. Um, this is an interesting one. The next generation of the web. I'll just checking you get it right. right. So, web <laughs> technologies. So, the web has been around since, well, Let's let's be more accurate. The web has been around for a long time. Long, long time. HTTP has been around just a little bit less than that. You but then if you look at um, some of the other underlying principles of the web itself, they've been around sometimes longer and, and sometimes not as long. And, and the reality mm-hmm. is these things are desperately due for, for some upgrades. I've just been checking. You've got four points in this one trend. I know. I know this could take some while. Yeah. So, um, so come. I'll try and remember them in order. But fundamentally, right? Yeah, thanks, buddy. <laughs> um, but fundamentally, you know, you've got the way that we authenticate websites mm-hmm. needs massive upgrading. Because the reality is the way we authenticate with update, update, the way we authenticate with websites is, is hundreds of years old. Passwords, you know, We've had passwords since we were going and talking through a little hatch to give a password to someone to open a door to let us into, you know, a prohibition a reference. Prohibition I like that. Yeah, you know that the, these are not new things, and they're very easily um, socially engineered out of people, or just fundamentally keystroke hacked. Or, you know, so I saw someone on the train the other day looking over someone's shoulder as they type their password into their phone, and I thought to myself, "That's a." That's bad. Do you I, know, I, I, know caught I, like, my, I caught myself moving moving away from where I was sat in a hotel lobby last week because I wanted to enter a password yeah. into some app. But how many people yeah, don't look around? And and I was only uh, I was only partially aware of the fact where I was sat, there was a step up next to me and a guy sat there. Uh, or it could have been a lady, let's not be sexist. But 
I, you're right. It, it's it's one area of, of of technology when it comes to to security that yeah we've seen two factor even three factor authentication. Uh, you've seen that have all biometrics, but 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 ultimately, uh, how how many applications, how many sources of information, how many utilities do we use? Yeah. And that still require just a straightforward, bog-standard password. What have we done to make this better? Well, we've put sticking plasters in place. Yeah. And it's not just for pass- p- uh, passwords, it's for everything on the web. So, essentially, we've we've put things like um, 1Password in, where mm-hmm. you've got 1Password to unlock a password manager, but then that password manager manages much more complex passwords that you put into online logins. But still, we're in a place where... If someone got that password to get the password manager, you're just essentially <laughs> disintermediating the problem by one. Scares me, does that? But then yeah. the reward to a hacker to get into your one password account by social engineering or keylogging or just mm-hmm. recording your yep. your screen or something is a thousand times more valuable because then they get all your passwords. <clears throat> That's number one. But hang on, hang on. So you've proposed doing away with passwords? Well, yes. So, so there's two methodologies that I've proposed. Neither of these are complete in themselves, but they're certainly the building blocks to start to move mm-hmm. forward. So um, so there's a technology, open source technology, called um, Skrull. Yep. So it's S-Q-R-L, Secure, Reli- secure Quick, Reliable, reliable Login. So Skrull is, is the brainchild of a cryptographer and security researcher called Steve Gibson. He has his own podcast. It's absolutely fantastic, called Security Now. I advise if you have any interest in, te- in security, he is the absolute god um so essentially he's come up with this way of doing away with passwords altogether multi-factor cryptographically um insured logins right using your something you so you're essentially something you have and something you know so essentially you put in a you put in a piece of information okay. and then essentially it passes something back to your phone you use the phone which has got a qr code on it and Bingo. It, oh, it's right, really okay. well explained on the website. Go and have a look. That's the first way. <laughs> yep. Right? So, squirrel, look at it. Um, brilliant piece of technology. Mm-hmm. And the other is things like Google Recapture. Yeah. So, Google have managed to get to the point where they follow... So, so Google obviously being the giant that they are, they follow you around the internet. And they understand how you browse, they understand how you use the internet, they understand how you click and, and how quickly you iterate from website to website to website. Mm-hmm. They then use that information to prove whether or not you are a human or not. Yep. By doing that, they essentially authenticate you to a service. And this doesn't fundamentally do away with passwords, but it certainly does away with some of the um, trying to prove, you know, when you have to type those co- those characters, oh, all yeah, that's like a really story. dodgy picture. Yeah, <clears throat> which interestingly, um, actually got didn't get Google into trouble, but certainly, the, so there was a class action lawsuit against um, Google startup last year because those pictures that we were using to say, is this a front of a house? Is this a car? Is this a, 
they were basically Google giving you units of workload that they couldn't work out themselves to double check that it was actually. Well, so I always <laughs> realised that, and I thought that was quite neat. So that's, that's, that's a really way neat. of getting people but to do yeah, an element is, of vis they visual. Got very, they got a very, very sensible judge no. who basically turned around and said, are you freaking kidding me? Google are like actually giving you loads of services for free. If you actually think that this is this is intolerable, <laughs> you start your own email service and your own doc service and your own storage service and, and go spin on it. So it. look, NetNet -Net is... There's another way, though, and although it's it's not complete in in isolation, yes. it's the steps forward to move us to a place where we could do away with traditional, very um, unsecure authentication methodologies. Cool. So, so that was part one. That's part one. Don't of the new new one. web. The biggest problem to um, to these technologies is they need to be user friendly. Yes. I mean, the reason that we don't all think that two-factor authentication is great and the reason we don't turn it on for every service is because it's a pain in the backside yep right having to wait to log into something because you've got to essentially wait for a text to be sent to your text phone or an email to come through yes it's just painful so say so lovey right so moving on go on now I, I i chose this this is another one of the web technologies as Rich said, there is four. So this this for me um, has got chosen for two reasons. First and foremost, it's a very clever technology, and secondly, it has the most phenomenal name you could ever hope. You to have didn't just now, please just confirm for me because there's only you and me in the room and Hannah. Hello, Hannah. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah just yeah. Mom, Forget I'm about I'm the I'm audience. My mum and my girlfriend <laughs> listening on, yeah. on, on the podcast. <laughs> You're assuming both. Um, <laughs> You didn't just pick this for the name, did you? No. Tell no. everybody the name. The name is the Interplanetary File System. So IPFS, yes. essentially, um, for short, is... Um, so one of the big limitations of the internet is mm. every time you want to download something, every yep. time... So right, first and foremost, the internet is a collection of networks. Yep. These networks are have finite resources, okay? And we need to start to... We need to start to class the internet as a finite resource because it is, right? Until mass investment goes into it, which, by the way, the network providers aren't that sort of desperate to invest the billions and billions of dollars it costs to continuously upgrade these networks. This is like running a modern train on a Victorian railway, isn't it? Uh, exactly. Let's be fair. Exactly, but the reality is... We need to think of more intelligent ways to do things yes. that lower the overall overhead on the internet. It speeds things up for us. It means that our bandwidth costs are lower as far as like our mobile phones and things like that. And it also means that we don't need... And I'm not I'm not sticking up for the, the telecoms here, the telcos, because at the end of the day, they make a lot of money out of us. But at the same time, if we can limit the amount of you know fundamental hardware and, and cable laying and all that sort of stuff... I'm going to be hopeful here. Maybe they'll pass the savings on to us. And more importantly, maybe they'll start to invest in other more philanthropic adventures and activities that will help and change the world. So right. we think IPF so IPFS will is a have a, well, yeah, an impact. So what, what it is, is it's a cryptographic hash-based, which basically means it's a very secure way of downloading stuff. And when I say downloading stuff, I'm not just talking about downloading files and i'm certainly not talking about sort of the downloading of 
peer-to-peer and things like that that we've seen in the past from BitTorrent et al. This is a technology that fundamentally can help to speed up the internet because if you've got elements of a web page like pictures and and themes and videos and all the content that goes into a modern day website, Mm. every website you pull down is megabytes and megabytes big. And some of them are tens and hundreds of megabytes big, which is mental. That's the world we live in today. We live in incredibly high co- high content, high engagement. Yeah, content you know, rich. Content rich websites. And that has a cost. It has a cost to the network. So if we can download the content of those content rich websites in a more network efficient, a more secure way, okay. which is essentially where IPFS comes in. IPFS is a technology that essentially looks around locally for other people who have the content you need and essentially pull from them. So essentially everyone becomes a peer, it becomes, it's a mass peer-to-peer network essentially. Very egalitarian. Yeah, and it's a bit hopeful, and but it, it, it <laughs> the, the standard is being um, adopted in certain areas. So it's, it's certainly worth looking into. And as I say, the purpose of these trends is not necessarily that these are going to help the channels move forward, but it's mm-hmm. certainly helping them to understand some of the challenges that we face as a in our industry and some of the solutions that are starting to be thought about so they can start to have intelligent conversations with their end customers around these sorts of technologies and what they might mean to them now and in the future. If it sparks an interest, go and read more and listen to more podcasts like the one you've suggested. Yes. Yes. So the next one. Yes, yes. Is email. C. Email C. is over 40 years old, believe it or not. No way. 40 years old, yeah. It actually predates the internet. Um, huh? But I, let, me look at, let me look at my... By six years, it predates the internet. So essentially, electronic mail has barely changed in that 40 years. It still has the same fundamental principles. Now, we've put in some... Some quirks, but actually, it's probably the the most unchanged technology of them all. So, how are we gonna? So, one of the things we saw in 2017, yes, was a diversification of because I think what email brings us is is great, and actually, the reason it's sustained for 40 odd years is actually it ain't bad at what it does, but what it does is what we needed from a technology. A good few years ago, actually, where we're seeing um, the augmentation of email is through other messaging services, WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, um, all of those sorts of Slack and things Slack, like that. Slack, yeah. exactly. So I would be fascinated to, to to take a poll on how many people, how much do you think Slack, for example. How many how many email messages do you think Slack has saved? And the the big thing is, and the thing I mentioned in this topic is that corporate instant messaging has been around for years and years and years. Mm, but yeah. personally, and I, I speak from my experience and the experience of maybe our organisation, I don't think it's taken off anywhere near as much as it could have. No, I, don't I, don't think I mean, do you see do you see as more people coming to coming to the workplace that? that use instant messaging in well, from a social this is the, perspective. This is the other half of this trend. The generation that's coming into work now have never used email, ever. 
They've used Snapchat, they use Instagram. They don't communicate. They probably. Well, I, I should put I my quill down. Very few of them have ever sent an email. <laughs> what is this? That, yeah. yeah, exactly. So the reality is, if they want to be productive, they're not going to want to leverage this old asynchronous messaging technology. Mm. They're going to want to leverage something where they can put 200 characters in a little thing, send to someone, have an instant response. See. Pardon me. See when it's read. See when they're online. See, but do it all anywhere, anytime in a in a system that yeah. they feel comfortable in. I really think that what's going to kill email is not it being sort of necessarily presumpt or sort of taken over by any specific technology, but more that the user base of email will just it will become an. Almost become a redundant technology. Yeah. I think one of the st- one of the things that will probably accelerate that is just as we had that switch from well, you know, if a document had to get from A to B and we had to view it in a legal context, then it would be legally binding. Then you know, the early days of electronic transit, we you know, an, an email wouldn't suffice. We would still have to send a fax. Mm. And then legislation and laws changed, and lo and behold, we had the death of the fax machine. Wonder if it'll take a similar sort of legislation there, where you could well, attach or send a document or a request. Or yeah, I still think using using email, dependent probably on business role and, and industry as as a place today, and probably on age, like you've said. But then when I look at some of the solutions to sending those legal documents and something that can be compliant, you know, no disrespect to organizations like DocuSign and that's still quite clunky mm. processes and doing things like that. And and I can see that that maybe you know the the generations coming in to work now will look at something like that and that really will blow their minds and go, well, hang on a minute, I just, this what? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So email I don't think it's gonna go away by any stretch of the imagination, no. but I certainly think it's gonna be augmented. As you said, I think that will be the future. And augmented more effectively than it yes. is at the minute. Yes, exactly okay. that. Part D, the last one of part two. <laughs> oh. So, so they're not all like this. I'll just hasten this to add. This has been um, so. The next one is IP version six. Now, IP version six has actually been around since 1998. So this is not a new trend. Yeah, and this is actually sort of harks back to my comment right at the start that this is not about bleeding edge technology this is about technology that's coming of age and technology that's becoming that has a point to being relevant today okay dokey so ip version 6 so okay. i was surprised to see this on here i have well, to say but the reasoning behind it i think personally is solid so if you look at <laughs> you would um, you wrote it <laughs> so so ip version 4 yes which was ip version 6's predecessor was exhausted, um, well, a long, long time ago. In 2017, 99% of all all public internet addresses were completely exhausted, which means that, A, the resource of, I, of public addresses now is, um, is essentially much more expensive. There's much fewer there. This is... It's a this finite resource, isn't it? So exactly. you're going to have to pay more for and it. And I think people don't think of the internet and technology as a finite resource, but it is. And there are a lot of um, pinch points. There's a lot of um, issues that we have. Mm-hmm. So so to give you some, some stats, okay, 
The number of available public IP addresses with IP version 4 is well then. 4 billion yep. 294,967,296. That might sound like a lot, but the reality is we've completely run out of it because we have more devices than that on the internet. Now, what have we got coming down the road? We've got IoT. IoT is predicting how many devices by 2020? Eight uh, per human, 20 per yeah, human? Yeah, is it 20 billion is pretty much yeah. the number that everybody... Uh, and every single one of those devices needs an ID. On. Yep. Needs a unique ID. Got a problem now, aren't you? Yeah. So, how many, how many more... So, IPv6 is a very different way of addressing and giving devices a unique ID. Would you like to know how many... I'm looking at this number, and I'd like to see you have an attempt at saying it. It's 340 octexillion, 282 <laughs> dexillion, 366 noncillion, 920 oxillion, 938 septillion, septillion, 463 sexillion. I shit you not. I mean, I'm, ooh, I promise ooh, not. Um, 400 and 63 again quintillion 374 quadrillion 607 trillion 431 billion 768 million 211,456 to be exact so that I'm gives so th the reality is we will theoretically never run out of IPv6 addresses. Now, we've never needed that before. That is, I think it's one of the reasons that people haven't gone there because it is a, it is a terrifyingly large amount of addressable space. But the reality is, if we try and continue to do things the way we're doing it, we are just going to dry up and we're not going to be able to be as quick, effective, and as secure as we would hope to be. Hey, well, look, put it this way. The baby boomers gave us debt. We're giving our children space on the internet. We are giving them IP addresses. What more could you want? So that, that sort of completes my look at internet technologies, which has taken its time, and I appreciate it's probably yeah, also right. taken its toll on your poor heads, listeners, but we will endeavour to continue. So... Come on, then. Number three. Number three. <laughs> number three. Wow. Um, so number three is augmented intelligence. Yeah. Come so on, obviously we've had augmented reality now for a good few years, right? Yes. So we're not augmented reality. Scrub that. Augmented. Sorry. We've had artificial intelligence. <laughs> that as well. <laughs> Wrong question three, listeners. It's been a long one. Um, so we've had um, artificial intelligence, but the problem we've had with artificial intelligence is that it's almost too good at what it does, right? It's terrifying people. People, as soon as people start to think about um, artificial intelligence, they're thinking. Um, they're thinking Hollywood. They're I think this Hollywood. is Hollywood. Exactly. They're this is the thing. It's got, I think it's got Skynet. a really bad rep. Yeah, it really has. It really has. And actually, um, artificial intelligence, although it's not being held back by this, it's certainly scaring enough people. And then there's some really significant um, individuals who are starting to say. We maybe need to be a bit careful with this. People like um, Stephen Hawkins, yes, Elon, um, Musk. Elon Musk, who are all saying we need to regulate it. We need to make sure that we don't go too fast, too quickly, you know. And I and I think this is 
generally building, and I, I, I can't comment on what they've said because they are a thousand times more intelligent than I am. So I won't comment specifically on what they've said. But what I will say is, I don't think that the general populace necessarily understands the difference between artificial intelligence that does a good job and artificial intelligence that could be used for more nefarious purposes. And actually, I don't think we're at the place yet, and I don't think we'll be at the place for many years until when it can be genuinely used for nefarious purposes and what we call general purpose AI has any ability to do anything other than just be fiction in movies mm. and all that sort of stuff. So that's the first thing. And I think the limiting factor to artificial intelligence genuinely becoming a Skynet is we just simply don't have the computing power to be able to do anything yet that would really cause any genuine harm or danger to the human civilization and the human race. I Who'd have ever thought we'd have been talking about humanity and the, the end of the human race on bandwidth? <laughs> I'm well proud. Um, but what it is doing yes. is it is damaging its sort of profile as far as a technology is concerned and it's, it's damaging what people think about it before they've had a chance to really accept it what i mean by this is it's starting to make people think oh you know i've heard this new story that artificial intelligence is going to come along and take my job or artificial intelligence is going to come along and it's going to disrupt my life in some way yeah i've heard it's the next you know the next industrial revolution is going to be the digital you know ai revolution i don't want that that doesn't sound like a good thing for me so we've sort of changed tack now and we're starting to talk about artificial intelligence as augmented intelligence. Yes. So intelligence that aids the human worker rather than replaces them. You know, I hate to use this incredibly overused corporate term, but it's about moving individuals up the value chain and helping them to be more efficient, more effective and more um, productive rather than fundamentally replacing them and putting them out of work. Mm. And that's sort of where we're going with this. And it's, I think it's funny that you also hear the term robotics as well, which from a an IT perspective, we're not talking about actuators moving arms or tools on a production line. We're talking about a very similar thing, about the deployment of, of algorithms and software to to conduct a very specific, often monotonous, yep. tedious, boring, high-volume, low-value task. Yeah. Exactly. And who doesn't want to see the end of that? Well, yeah, exactly. Let's be fair. Exactly. And, and you know, I think if we can help, you know, low-skilled workers move into more skilled jobs because they're having, you know, bits that they are not so good at augmented by computation and helping yep. them to be, you know, more productive individuals, who doesn't want that? Okay, because that can only lead to, to better paid jobs and better working conditions for, for many. So that was that piece. So next off... Um, a solution looking for a problem is what you wrote. Uh, no more. So I'll set um, you up nicely there. So I, I've, I've held off from, from putting this into predictions since I started writing them. Once yeah? again, it's not a, yeah, 100%. It's absolutely. It's not a brand new technology. Ooh. It's not a brand new technology. It's, it's one of these ones that once again has come of age. Um, it's blockchain. Yay. So Personal fave. <laughs> exactly. It's a lot of people's favorite. So blockchain, for those of you who I'm sure have heard about Bitcoin and blockchain, um, essentially what blockchain is, is it's a log. Mm -hmm. It's a very, very secure 
theoretically untamperable log. Yep. That's all it is. Okay? It's a, it's a ledger. Right? It's distributed. So no one person, organization... Has the whole picture. Has the whole picture. Well, no, everyone has the whole picture. Oh, yes, yes, sorry. You everyone have have has the whole picture, don't but we? no one person has the only whole picture. Yes. So it's not like a bank where the bank is the only person who holds all the records of you. Now, the benefit to having lots and lots of people have a very, very secure log of every transaction that's ever occurred is that it's very, very, very difficult to damage or take that particular infrastructure down. So outages on the blockchain are nigh on impossible because the level of distribution of the actual processing power that is there. Yes. That's the first thing. Um, and then the second piece is that... Um, Immutable. It is immutable exactly. what is put in, put in there because you need a consensus yes, from the members the entire, to change yeah, the anything. The blockchain to change every, well, the majority of their records to actually make it, it So everything is, pla- everything is placed into, in essence, chunks. Yeah. And then once a chunk is, fu- is filled, a new chunk is made in that ledger. And whenever a chunk is, is filled and, or is partially filled... Then, if you want to go back and change something, if I wanted to to give you a a check and make a transfer for a hundred pounds, and you wanted to change that to a thousand pounds by adding a little zero on, or change who that payment was made to, you couldn't just go in and nefariously, with whatever access you you had or could could hack, change that. You basically have to apply to everybody that takes part in that ledger yeah. and seek a consensus and almost a vote to make a change. Now, the great thing, I think, from a blockchain perspective for me is when you look at the applications of it in in, in the real-world sense, and it's not solely oh. about cryptocurrencies here. We're yeah. talking about things like smart contracts. We're talking about things like security. Yeah. We're talking about things like actually being able to track the provenance of high-value products and, and goods. Yeah, uh, uh, you, know, you, can, you can take it all the way down to something as simple as meat. You could essentially put each one of your cattle on the blockchain. Ooh. And then you could essentially track them yes. through the entire f- chain from field to plate. And, you know, you could guarantee, and, and I mean absolutely guarantee, that what you're eating was what started off as a healthy, immunized, well-fed, well-looked-after cattle. There would be no more fraud inside that space because fundamentally yep. you, you you tag it every point um and it's, it's interesting that you brought up um cryptocurrency because you know one of the things that i think gets a lot of people terrified is people do very much equate blockchain to bitcoin but bitcoin yeah. is simply an application that's built on top of the blockchain yep. that happens to have taken off immeasurably Mm-hmm. I mean, its um, its stability is very questionable. Yeah, so we won't, you know. Let's not go there. But the underlying principle of the distributed the ledger, I think, is incredibly powerful. And, yes. and if, if we move away from from Bitcoin and we move into the other um, blockchains that exist, so a blockchain is simply, as I say, a log. Lots of different yep. companies are trying are going out and supplying their own derivation or version of these mm. logs i think if you if, if you want to learn more I, i'd certainly recommend looking at um 
the Hyperledger project. Uh, quite yeah, a, so quite I, a few IBM, vendors, IBM including their IBM, um, subscribing yeah, to that. Some yeah. of the most well-known ones are Ethereum. Yep. So Ethereum is essentially a blockchain, open source blockchain, and you, as a normal human being, mm-hmm. can, within 10 lines of code, write your own token. that You can give to all your friends and you can start your own currency, you can start your own bank, you can start your own whatever you wanted. Appreciate it's not going to be, you know, FCA approved. But nevertheless, if you wanted to somehow reward, you know, start a meritocracy, so essentially a system whereby you rewarded people for work they did in a charity, but you Mm -hmm. don't want to reward them with money, you want to keep a track of of when they do good and give them rewards, which can then equate to, you know, the best person in a charity at the end of the year, you could leverage the blockchain and, and essentially every time a con- you know group of people said, you know what, that person's done a good job, they'd get a reward. You know, it's about the applications, the smart contracts that sit on top of the blockchain. If you think about a contract in itself, it is a log of things that are going to happen. And yeah. and ba- and on the on the basis that things happen, you know, you will pay out, you will do something. That can be built on top of the blockchain in a way that makes it immutable, makes it distributed, and means that it will always happen no matter mm. what, and it can't be changed. And if you talk, if you talk about that concept of that contract, that could be an employment contract. It could be a contract between organisations as well as individuals. Yep. It could be a contract from, say, a property sale. Yep. Uh, you know, exactly. land registry things yeah, like that, and uh, and this is, is the thing. There's a lot, <coughs> lot of organisations, both yeah, you know, public and private sector that are investing, investigating yeah. and investing in blockchain. Yeah. So we mentioned IBM with Hyperledger. Yep. Microsoft have a, a blockchain um, yep. that they've put into production on Azure, so that you can build applications on top of their blockchain. Um, yeah, it, this is the reason I, I talk about it because a I think it got a huge amount of press last year, which has really pushed it into the limelight. But B, and and more importantly than that, I think that it's it's ready for mass adoption into mass applications that fundamentally underpin it. Mm-hmm. So I think we've probably nailed part one of this. Feels like it, doesn't it? It does. And I think if we go any further, people will just fall asleep at the wheel of their cars and will get blamed many many motoring accidents and i do not want that to happen or shower incidents or shower incidents yeah. you know who you are you do indeed anyway come back to this uh next week next week next time perfect is it oh, is last week if you've listened to this out of order <laughs> i have is this is this technically a cliffhammer hanger hammer Woo! A cliff hammond <laughs> oh don't go completing yeah. with those boys no. um but yeah this feels this feels like a bit of a cliffhanger well we're gonna leave you on your cliffhanger and we shall speak to you next week. See you next time. Well then, goodbye. Bye. Bye.